0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. I'm excited because we have a repeat offender today, Dan <laughs> Hill, PhD, the author of nine books, the most recent being Blah, Blah, Blah. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to have some fun today on this show. It's going to be a great conversation. A few quick uh, announcements before we get started. If you've heard the show, you know what happens next. I tell you about uh, this. If you've got an amazing customer service story or a question you want to ask just go to any of the social media channels and if it is a question use the hashtag ask shep and i'll be sure to answer either there on this show in my newsletter or my tv show which is be amazing or go home which can be found on amazon prime apple tv roku c-suite tv and you can get episodes by going to be amazing dot tv that's be amazing tv all right I'm excited. Dan Hill is back in the house. As I mentioned in Repeat Offender, the last time he was here, we talked about how facial expressions are basically tells and you can uh, recognize if somebody's lying on co- all kinds of things you can read by, by just looking at somebody's face. And Dan's an expert at that. But today, we're actually going to dive in the world of customer service and experience because he's got a few ideas about that as well. Dan, welcome back. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it, Chip. Well, it's no looking forward to it. We are in it right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I love the name blah, blah, blah. And the book just came out in September. Give us a quick little insight on what that book is
1: about. Sure. Uh, I had a couple of guests on my podcast who in subsequent weeks, both mentioned that about 25% of all managers are believed to be bullies. And I just thought, oh my God, that is horrible. We spend so much money on company reorgs, so much money on company culture, and then you let this emotional cancer sit in your ranks. And whether it's in the customer service department or other parts of the company, obviously if people are feeling bullied, oppressed, that's gonna translate in how they relate to their colleagues and how they relate to their customers. So it should change rather than be tolerated or ignored.
0: Right, and I'm gonna just share this. Uh, I always loved this gets a big laugh in my speech. When I say manager takes the employee and back and said, look, you need to go out there and be nice and be better at what you do. And the beatings aren't going to stop until your morale gets better. You know, now go out there, be nice.
1: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're going to somehow manage to to pivot away from all of that abuse and and then put a smile on your face and make it authentic. Odds aren't great.
0: It's, it's hard to do. And I think that's, you know, when you're, verbally abused internally, it's hard to really focus externally. And, and that's why one of my favorite sayings is what happens on the inside of any company is going to be felt on the outside by the customer. So I want to jump into this thing that you call avoidance, customer experience and customer service avoidance. And at, when I read the description of what this was, I think I'm, I'm experiencing that like today uh, it's <laughs> happening. So Dan, go ahead and share with, your, with us your insights on why why companies like all of a sudden start to avoid wanting to talk to a customer.
1: Well, they're trying to limit their costs for one thing. Uh, They're trying to limit the exposure, the time taken uh, by their staff, and maybe not reveal that the staff is sometimes not well-trained or prepared to field questions for us. But one of the implications of this in trying to save money is they go to the technology and the technology becomes not the bridge it should be to connect us more readily, but rather a shield to block us, to keep us away. And I think it has several impacts. One is we're gonna feel a lot more anger because we're suddenly not in control of the situation. We thought we were initiating a call for some help, please, some service. And, and all of a sudden happening. we're being
0: thrown into this automated system yeah. uh, that we may get lost. We may have to start over again. It's frustrating.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'll give you one of the definitions out of blah, 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 if you don't mind. Sure. Your call is very important to us. Uh, and now here correct. in full while you wait is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I mean, you yeah, know, that is the kind of predicament we find ourselves in. So one is we want progress. It ain't happening. We're going to feel anger. And unfortunately for the, for the uh, service rep, uh, they're going to get to experience that anger. And maybe they're even going to have a little bit of reciprocal angle, anger because emotions are contagious. And then that poor person has to go through the emotional labor of trying not to give in to the anger that they are going to feel because the companies put them in this position through using the technology as a shield. Right. So, uh, several, so that's several, one things.
0: several things are happening here the way I see it. Number one, companies become enamored with the technology. Yes. And it's not sometimes that they think they're it with some companies definitely do it on purpose. They they make it hard for you to talk to a human being. But the ones that aren't that make the mistake become enamored with the technology. And here's my line. And it's I I wrote about it in my most recent book. Uh and I love see you talked about blah blah blah. We're gonna just mention I'll sure. be back, how to get customers to come back again and again. But in that book, I said you cannot automate a relationship. Humans can create a relationship, but how easy or how it's really how difficult, almost impossible for um, just automation to really, you're a commodity at that point, if you're not careful.
1: Yeah, Um, no, it's fine to use the technology to facilitate, to use it as a replacement for human contact with all the interactive, collaborative, you know, hopefully heartwarming opportunities is bad for the brand. it's, It's bad for the whole value proposition. The only
0: time it works, and and I encourage companies to do digital because we surveyed over a thousand consumers um, weighted to the U.S. Census, so uh, across ages, gender, uh, geography, ethnicity, and what we found was 41% go digital first. Now, what that means is if we can give our customers a good frequently asked question knowledge base where they can type in a question and get it answered, or we have some type of an AI-infused chatbot, that's fine until it's not, right? True. That's where the frustration that you're talking about kicks in, and that's where companies need to seamlessly move to the human-to-human, and ideally move in such a way where the conversation continues, doesn't start over with the human.
1: Yeah, it's done more gracefully than is usually the case. Um, so, yes, the, you know, the technology can if it's expeditious, then we have a sense of progress. Then the anger is kept to the side. But if the moment of transition is required, then then make it happen. And yes, we hate to tell the story two or three times. And each person in turn seemingly can't help us.
0: Right. And, and is, that's so frustrating. But I think it's important when uh, when the person does take over, it's like, hey, thanks for being a customer. The information about the customers in front of them are, are minimal. Uh, effort is made, and you know the other thing is is that we put knowledgeable reps on on the front line to make sure that they can answer the questions quickly, easily, appropriately. Um, you know, I my my formula: acknowledge, apologize, fix it, own it, and be quick about it. Um, that that's what restores confidence. But everybody has to recognize: customer is coming to you with a problem. Now they're in a digital uh, experience. And if that doesn't work, the problem just became exacerbated. So now they're just a little bit more upset than they were before.
1: Yeah. And what was what was annoyance becomes outrage, potentially.
0: Potentially. Yeah. 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 I always give companies the benefit of the doubt. I would rather go digital first if I can easily connect to a human when there's a problem.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, you know, although if I'm on my mobile phone typing in the explanation is probably not as desirable as if I'm at my desktop. But yes, I, I don't have any problem with that sequence. But you may you brought up something really important: is the person I eventually talk to, if I need a person, knowledgeable? Yep. Because if they're not, then you know the anger is added to that a second emotion, which yeah. is I am doubtful that this company is a good performer, and why in the world did I buy from them? And now I feel like I'm I'm tied to a loser. So
0: I am going to tell you my story. And then I bought my wife a, one of these big, huge massage guns. It was her birthday and you know, the big, you know, they're expensive, right? Yep. And it shows up and I wrapped it and I gave it to her just on Saturday, uh, two days ago, three days ago. And, uh, we went to charge it and it won't work. So I thought, am I doing something wrong? I'm not crazy. It's like a small little sheet of instructions, basically charge it, take off the charger, turn the on switch. And it should work okay but it doesn't so i email I, I i in the company i email and i get an email back about 24 hours later so now it's sunday evening okay and i get the email back and it says try this and i tried it it didn't work and then i get an email back in the middle of the night i don't know if they're operating on the other side of the world or not but the email said please send a video of what you're doing so we can confirm that you're charging it properly i mean how hard is it to charge stick the uh, charger into the <laughs> socket and the little light goes on. So I know that's working, plug it into the machine. And, and, and uh, they asked me to create this video. So I did what they said to do. But then when I went to send it to them, the video is too large and the server rejects it. So, and it's only a 40 second video. So I did another one that was 20 seconds long. Anyway, uh, I've yet, to, and I said to them, I said, you know what? I'm not happy. I just want to return it. I would like to exchange it. But if you won't let me exchange it next, I'm returning it. Done. And I'll go get a different brand.
1: Uh, That's avoidance. Yes? Oh, absolutely. Well, maybe what you could do is just take a photograph of a lemon and send them the lemon. That's probably small enough file size that will go through. That's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, your product doesn't work, guys.
0: That's funny. That's funny. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how you staff properly for customer service. I want to talk about customer experience too. Um, And I want to talk about, I know you have a case study with Tesla and I think Tesla is an interesting company. Um, I I love the Bonnie Raitt song, let's give them something to talk about. And I think Tesla has done an amazing job of creating brand advocates, which is all due to the experience that they provide for their customers. So we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. When we come back, we're talking with Dan Hill, and he is the author of Blah, 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 a book that just came out literally oh, in September. So it's practically brand new. You've got to get it. Time for the holidays. It's going to be great. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert, and I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to come back again and again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll-be-back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.IllBeBackBook.com. Again, that's www.IllBeBackBook.com. Listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. Talk with Dan Hill, author of blah blah blah, and we are going to talk about blah 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 staffing, hiring for customer service and experience. Dan, uh, let's kick it off. I'll let you, you do the justice here. What? How? What in your? I guess it's your opinion, your your research, your writings do you feel is important when you're hiring for the right, right position?
1: Well, actually, I think you should almost transfer people into customer service department rather than hire sometimes because what happens is it just gets to be this churn and you hire someone in, you don't pay them very well. You don't train them very well. They sit there and they get barraged by frustrated customers and they accumulate all this fear and fear is not very accommodating to communication because when you're afraid, you freeze and you don't hear what they're saying, and then they get afraid they're, as a customer, they're not gonna get their request uh, answered, and so everyone just gets bathed in fear. What I wish everyone got to feel was pride. You know, pride that I I bought from a good company, they actually know how to take care of me if something goes wrong, and that the person who's on staff can take pride that they know how to pull the levers. That's why I think you should transfer people in. They'll be knowledgeable, they'll be people who've been at the company for a while, they, they decide to stay with the company. They have some pride in the company, some sense of belonging, and they know how the company operates. So use people who really are vetted in the company's operations. And I think everyone's going to feel a whole lot better about the outcome.
0: I like the idea of transferring people in, but I think that some companies are going to say, well, that's impossible because our support department is very large. We can't take great people from other areas and slide them in. I mean, we need hundreds, if not even thousands of support people. Uh, what do you say to those people?
1: Well, I guess I'd say two things. One is I'm not advocating every single person has to be transferred in, but between the managers who might get called in when someone gets totally irate and says, I have to talk to your manager. Ah. Can there be an in-between level that is your, your base frontline people? And before you elevate to the managers, is there someone who can swoop in? Because you know, if I'm a new employee, do I really want to have to get my manager involved? Probably not. I'm afraid. Right. Because right. you're reprimanded. questioning, is this
0: going to be, is, am I going to get in trouble for, for yeah. bringing this so, early in my employment? All of a sudden, I'm getting ready to fail.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so bring in a colleague that has a little less stigma. And, and the other thing is that these people who you brought in, ideally, it's not just that they're veterans, it's also they have the right personality. They are people pleasers. They like the interaction. They like solving problems, not someone who's adept at just saying, okay, I moved it through. Yep. Um, there should be some warmth there.
0: Yeah, I, and I think you're right. I, I think managers, first of all, people who are management of call centers, support centers, whatever you want to call them, customer you know, service areas, I think the key is, number one, they have to be good coaches and mentors. But they also have to understand the company well enough. And and there's technology that's involved. So there's a lot going on there. But on the front line, um, I'm not so sure... I'm not saying I disagree with you. I think it's great uh, to think if you can do that. As a matter of fact, when companies are small, I recommend that every person in the company take a shift, even if it's just for a couple hours, on the front line dealing with customers' questions and problems so they really get an understanding of what's really happening. And as the company grows, and it's huge, I suggest that even leadership take time to spend you know, a, a few hours. Um, in, in the book I just recently mentioned, I'll Be Back, I have a chapter in there where the story is that Bill Gates from Microsoft went down to the support center and took support calls. And he answered the phone like Microsoft
1: (laughs) technical support. This is William. May I help you? (laughs) I I think that's absolutely fabulous. I mean, more of that should happen. I I joined a a big company early in my career and someone said, why don't you come with me to the call center? We're going to spend an afternoon. and You can just listen in because there's no better way to get you oriented to what's going on around here.
0: Yeah, it's wow. powerful. Now, I do believe that some people are really destined for handling confrontation and complaint. They love it. And, and their goal in life is to turn that lemon into lemonade, to turn that angry customer yeah. into an advocate. And that's what they love doing. And you know what's amazing to me is that a lot of people, when they get complaints coming at them over and over again, they burn out. But these people thrive and, and they gain excitement from it all. These people are crazy. No, they're good people. They're good, they're, people.
1: they're good people. Some people are just oriented that way. And those are the ones that ideally should be there because you can hire someone and just say, well, they talk fast. They seem smart. Well, I think we both know that there are people who are sometimes smart and, and cold as can be. And uh, I don't think that's the combination you actually yep. need.
0: So smart and technically savvy with the ability to answer questions is not necessarily what you need on the front line. You had to add. you have to add one other ingredient. And you mentioned it earlier, and that I believe is personality.
1: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it can be extroversion, uh, it can be agreeableness. It probably shouldn't be neuroticism uh, because the job's tough enough already. But, um, you know, th- those other two qualities could really make them suitable for the job. So, yes, I realize there's cost implications of transferring people in, If seemingly you're poaching from other departments or something. So I'm aware of all those, you know, practical obstacles. But it is even a small cadre of people who can be between the, the you know, the supervisors and the front line as a supplemental rank. Uh, that that's what I'm really pushing for.
0: Yep. All right. Let's jump over to Tesla. Um, And and one of my favorite songs, Bonnie Raitt, let's give them something to talk about. Now she was talking about love, but we're talking about brand ambassadors. If we do it right, our best marketing comes from our customers who are super happy.
1: Yeah, no. And and Tesla creates love. Now part of that is there's a sense of purpose to the brand after all that they have a mission, which is to change, uh, the climate crisis in a favorable way uh, by going to their electric cars. Um, so that's part of it. But what I really want to talk about in terms of customer service is the brilliance of getting the customers involved up front, that they are actually helping to select fund and in effect, build their own vehicle. So rather than have customer service as its appendage at the backside, you know, we we had created something without ever talking to the customer, not much, then we marketed the hell out of the customer, (laughs) then we plopped it on their lap and we said, good luck with it. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, and we disappear. Instead, you've integrated them on the front side. They already feel like they have ownership before they've even spent the money. I mean, what a lovely idea. Um, More companies could and should do this.
0: Yep. So can you take me through, like, do you know the background on what they've attempted to do here? I mean, you say you put the customer in charge from the very beginning. How does that work?
1: Well, you, you go online. You can look at the color scheme you want. You can look at the special features you want. You can say, you know, in terms of delivery timing that's involved for you, uh, you know, all of the elements. So it's not just it's ready made. It's actually that you're helping, you know, design the card, you know, within limitations, quite obviously, so that Mm -hmm. it functions. But I mean, let's contrast to something that's in blah, 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 where I say buyers regret the cul-de-sac in which the customer's journey comes to an end. So we, we, have been, <laughs> we have been pulled along, and then at the end, we're dumped someplace. I'm suggesting that Tesla offers the opportunity to thread you in from the front side. But and, don't and other car
0: the, dealerships do that now, where you can go online and pick out your car and choose your colors and all the options?
1: It's, bro- it's broader than, than the other cars offer. And more importantly, it has a purpose to it. I mean, now GM is, is pivoting that direction and so forth, but you know, you get more brand luster from having gotten there first.
0: Right. And I think that's what it is, is they were the first ones to really, I mean, mean, at least that's what it sounds like, you know, they're early to market and doing it this way. I do think that they've been doing this way for years where many of the car dealerships, while there might've been options to do this way, really didn't start pushing it until the pandemic when people couldn't come into the dealerships to buy their car they said well go go you know pick out the car you want online you know choose your options etc cetera, et cetera. we'll build it for you and we'll bring it to you now uh, but what happens is after they bring it to you or they call you to tell you to come and pick it up I mean Tesla uh, they don't even have a showroom at least I, that's I think one of the big things is that you don't need a showroom they don't have a a, a car repair center either am I right uh, yeah, no, you
1: know, they've, yeah. they've taken away that in-between level. I mean, that's one of the great frustrations, you know, for the car buyer is, you know, they've got this huge thing that came up in between. It's really out of financing reasons. Uh, there's a book called uh, uh, Over the Moon. It's a, it suckers. It's, it's about the advertising world and how everyone's frustrated dealing with the, the dealers whose biggest worry is I got a lot of cars sitting on the lot and I got a lot of finance money, you know, baked into this and I got to move. And um, you know what Tesla is trying to do is is take that away and say well, it's right you and me you and me babe we're we're in this together right. we're going to design the car and we're going to be done and, and they've taken out the, the the third party. Yeah, I think he's done.
0: Uh, and I say he, yeah, um, Elon Musk, yeah, brilliant, brilliant marketer. Um, really a, a risky a risk taker. I, I remember back in the 1980s when Lexus first came out, they had two models. That was it. Limited number of colors. And they were so focused on the quality of the car. And that was one of their big demonstrations was they took a marble and they put it on the hood of the car uh, where where there's like a crack where the hood opens and closes. And they said, look, and you roll this marble and it rolls perfectly down there because their 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 precision of building and their tolerances were so tight and uh, since that time, obviously, they've grown to be a luxury brand known for quality. And I kind of feel Lexus is or, or uh, excuse me, uh, Tesla. Tesla has done something very similar to that. Uh, they've just done it into a new world of car, which is the electronic
1: car. Yeah, well, I mentioned doubt earlier that if the customer service isn't good, you feel like you've you've tied your fate to, you know, a kind of a loser company. Te- Tesla is the exact opposite. You feel like you've been thrust forward into the future. And you're the beneficiary and you're along for this glorious ride, pun fully intended. Um, this is one of the places I wanted to go to if I could with the uh, people who might be poached from other departments and be that yes. wedge in between the supervisors. Uh, it's, it's a little broader mandate and, and you must have your own perspective here, but I'm really getting frustrated and I'm intrigued by it. Can we turn, uh, you know, customer service, which is often viewed as uh, a cost center into a profit center and is there ways in which you know it can be tied back into the R&D department, that it's a source of new innovations and ideas, because that's also something Tesla does, is they're looking for feedback, not just, you know here it is at the end of the road and just take these models, thank you very much. There's also a chance for, for input. And uh, I don't know what your perspective is, but I- I'm looking for more ways in which we can break down department silos and let the knowledge that I know sits in customer service Get out and inform and, and improve the rest of the company.
0: Well, it's real simple. You're on the front line. You hear it straight from the customer's mouth. Yep. There needs to be a way to trap that information and use that to uh, it the, to the advantage of making a better experience for the customer, perhaps better products that the company can create, and you know overall, uh, listening to the customer at that level and acting on it should lead to repeat business, loyal business better marketing from word of mouth, there's nothing bad that can come from what you're talking about.
1: Well, uh, I wanna take that even a step further because I totally agree with what you just said. I'm thinking back to when I was director of executive communications for a big uh, Fortune 500 company, about Fortune 200 company. Well, of course we had an annual employee meeting. Of course we had an annual stockholders meeting. We never had an annual employee uh, customer meeting. Oh, Wouldn't it fine. be cool to have a one or even two day festival with uh, even some some music or other artistic things to brighten it up a little bit, but allow people in to innovate, to talk through solutions, to meet the executives on the front line. I don't know anyone who's doing that. And I also don't know anyone who has a company where you have a consumer advisory committee that interacts with the board of directors. So this thing gets around, this input that you're talking about on the front line really gets to the top of the pyramid.
0: Well, there's there's some great companies out there that have user conferences where they bring their customers in. One of the largest conferences in the country is Dreamforce uh, for Salesforce.com, and uh, that's that's a complete customer event. Uh, and it's I though I like the idea. So it's expected if you're a software company, you have a user's conference. But I think that the you know annual shareholder and annual customer meeting. There's something that. The the customer meeting is just, it has a different, just hearing it that way sounds different than, oh yeah, we're going to have our users conference, which, which we have every year. So it's great. Hey, we, we are basically out of time, so (laughs) we could talk for hours, but I'm going to share another minute or so of what one last idea or nugget do you want to share with our audience?
1: Yeah. It's that EQ provides a 6% edge and 6% doesn't sound very big. But if you can hire people who have or get trained into EQ, think about this. I'm a tennis player. The greatest tennis players, the Roger Federer's, the Serena Williams, they win 53% of their points on average in a match. So 6% puts you at the top of the world. So, and And when you
0: say EQ, emotional
1: intelligence,
0: intelligence, Intelligence. okay.
1: Get, Get them. It's everything from what you and I talked about last time, which was the expressions on the face to what the emotions mean. What underlying solution? Because there's always the immediate solution. This is what they need to do to do it right. But it's also restoring the person's feelings who's on the phone with you. Mm. Uh, That's what I'm really talking about.
0: Wow. So focus on that and you'll have a winner and your customers will come back again and again. Dan Hill, the author of blah, 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 just recently out. Also the author of Emotionomics and seven other books in addition to the two that I just mentioned. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio, Dan. Thanks for coming back. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Shep. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We will be back next week with another interview. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.